Hey, 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 Pop Culture Quorum Deo. This is Jeff Wright. I'm here with Dr. Jared Moore. Podcast listeners, you can't tell this because of the format, but Jared is dressed as Johnny Cash. He's all in black, and uh, he's coughing like Doc Holliday. So this is a special cowboy-themed Pop Culture Quorum Deo. <laughs> Don't make me laugh, man. <laughs> I've got a stent in my lung, and Jeff chooses to make fun of me for it. Yeah, all that's true. That's, def- <laughs> that's definitely true. <laughs> And you're also doing a funeral. So all these things are for good reason, but yeah. they're also true. So, Jared, this is two episodes in a row. If we keep this up, people are going to expect us to release a podcast regularly. That's right. It's amazing. Uh, we're here to talk about a movie that I've been wanting to talk about forever, and Jared was gracious enough to agree to do that. Um, M3gan? <laughs> it, I guess it's Megan, but it's, you know, when you see it written on in text form, it's M3GAN. Um, Horror movie from a couple months ago at this point, kind of a sci-fi thriller horror movie. Uh, before we get into that, Jared, what you watching? What you watching? What you watching? So, buddy, what you been watching? Um, I watched the Conjuring Two and Conjuring Three with my kids. So you're just plowing through the series at this point. Yeah, yeah. And um, the third one rattled them a little bit. Third one's pretty scary. So my favorite of that series, and one of my legitimately one of my favorite movies, is The Conjuring Two, because it's such a dad positive movie. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about this before. I just love that movie. So, uh, what is, remind me what the plot of Conjuring Three is? Conjuring Three is a demon possessed a, a a guy, and he murdered somebody. He make the demon makes you see something that's not really there, but it's like. Seeing you, but you look like someone trying to attack me, and so I retaliate, and you die. Man, I I barely remember this one. It's based on a true story as far as loosely based. A guy really pleaded, um, he argued that he was demon-possessed in the court case and got manslaughter. He stabbed a dude t- over 20 times. Wow. And got manslaughter. How? I mean, how... Well, that sound that? that sounds like nefarious. That sounds like the same <clears throat> setup there. I I really like the Conjuring series. It's hit or miss, mm-hmm. but I like that series. I can't believe I forgot this. I guess I need to watch it again. Yeah, the the world of the Conjuring's like Insidious is there, the Nun, Annabelle, and the Conjuring. So there's like twelve movies, ten movies. the yeah. The Nun two is coming out, which I didn't care oh for. The Nun gosh. one. The Nun one was stupid. Stupid. They must have made enough money on it though to. Yeah. They're, these are low-budget movies, considering, like, I looked it up, like, uh, the first Conjuring was just $20 million, and they made, like, $400 million or something. Well, that's been the horror genre's uh, engine, right? Like, you could make a movie for cheap, and then make it bank and sort of start feeding yourself off of that. So, Halloween was made for next to nothing. Found footage movies kind of came out of the horror genre. So, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, what you just said, The Nun was garbage. Uh, I didn't think La Llorona was all that great. Is that the same world? Yeah. Okay. And then um, I did think the first Annabelle movie wasn't great, but the second one was really good. It's like the main Conjuring movies are good, and then you're just, it's a roll of the dice with the offshoot ones. Yeah, I explained that to the kids, like, you know, The Nun 2 may be great. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's true. It could, <laughs> it could be a hit. It was a joke, though, the first, like... The relics and the... Right. Wasn't there like a tear of Christ or something that was, was the final yeah, weapon? Something yeah. strange. Something yeah. mystical. 
Well, I'm bearing the lead here. How'd the kids handle Conjuring 2 and 3? Everybody but Jude. Jude's like, we're not watching the Conjuring again, are we? <laughs> and I was like, dude, I'll let you play video game. You know, you can you can play your video game. And he says, but I don't want to go upstairs because I'm scared. Yeah. You know, so it's too it's too rough for him. But how old is he? He's, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> He's too young for that movie. He's eight or nine. Eight. Eight. Hey, look, listener, I don't know if you're just losing your mind over that, but if you ask me my kids' ages right now, if I'm not within like two weeks of their birthday, I'm like, ah, they're in this ballpark. Or I'll answer with like what grade in school they're in. Yes, I know what grade he's in. (laughs) He's in second. Yeah, good job. So a second grader (laughs) having a little trouble processing the conjuring. I'm stunned. Yeah. (laughs) I'm stunned. That's hilarious. You're going to do a worse version to your kids of what my mom did to me. Or like, she let me sneak in and watch some horror movies every now and then. And that's where I got my appetite for it. So Me too. That's watching it when I was Jude's age. And that's why I'm the way I am. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> it terrified me. Yeah. But he's not that, he's not that terrified. It's just, he, we, I watched the first Conjuring with him right before they went to bed. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> This is coming from a dad who went to bed watching The Predator every this night. This is true. Yeah. But second and third, we, we watch it during the daytime and. Um, so I'm trying to, but the, the older ones are all like, dad, let's watch the conjuring. Let's watch like he and the 10 year olds same way. Yeah. Yeah. I I get it. I mean, those movies are pretty well made and they're moral and there's a lot to love there. Uh, anything new? Um, I watched uh, the movie plane with Gerald Butler. So listener, I'm supposed to have had that watched. I'm about halfway through it. Um, I don't think I'm giving anything away. They've crash landed and that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, what I like about it is it's very um, traditional masculine, feminine roles. Like if you get in a situation um, where you have no technology, you're in the jungle, what's that going to look like? What's going to happen? Sure. And almost automatically to the sex, to the gender, you're going to fall into a particular role. Patriarchal kind of thing. Yes. In most cases, like there might be exceptions to that. but in most cases, that's what you're, and that's what this movie does. Like, there's no question, there's no even, there's no, there's no even, not even debate or anything. Like, they automatically. You mean there's not a 120 pound stewardess who fights some drug lord who's no. 260 and ripped? Not at all. No way. No kidding. Don't they know don't women think are strong and powerful? I don't think there's even a woman that picks up a gun. No. In the movie, which is. Well, why can't? Why do they hate strong female characters, Jared? Yeah, it's just it, the that that's particularly why I like this movie. And there's also, you know, I don't want to give it away, uh, spoiler alert, but there is a brief scene where missionaries are shown, and evidently these guys kidnap, you know, they kidnap um, people and try to ransom them, like get a ransom for them, oh, and they really? kidnap two missionaries. Really? And they, I mean, there's blood everywhere where they'd killed them, but. Wow. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And so at least that's how it's presented. I mean, they, they, it could have been a Mormon organization. It didn't, it, but just the thought of them putting missionaries in a positive light. Sure. Um, pretty rare. Cause usually that's colonizing. That's, yeah. You know, yeah. Somehow white supremacy, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I'm enjoying it so far cause it is nice in this, you know, post woke Hollywood to just see a normal movie, you mm-hmm. know, like, I mean, it's Gerard Butler, right? That's the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie so far isn't doing anything new that I'm not used to seeing in a lot of action movies. Yeah. So, like, I think probably 
in lots of years, I'd watch this movie and be like, eh, it's kind of cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's just normal makes it feel very special now. Oh, yeah. And I mean, even, I mean, in the movie, there's a, there's a black man who's on the plane for murder. Mm-hmm. And he ends up being a type of hero, kind of an anti-hero. Well, I, I almost said the guy they cast to play the criminal is never not a good guy in a movie. Mm-hmm. He's just deeply likable. And so I think all that is into, like, as soon as you see him, you're like, ah, he's probably not actually a bad guy. He's going to turn out to have a heart of gold or a redemption moment or something like that. Or yeah, he does. He was falsely accused or, you know, he that guy just does likable. I, I just can't imagine a role where he was a bad guy. He just seems like everybody's uncle. Mm-hmm. He does a good job and, um, I won't give any more away, but I think it's worth watching. There's language. There's no sexuality. Um, I watched another movie called Air. Have you seen yeah, this? I, that one's been on my radar for a long time. I love Jordan. Um, the shoe industry is interesting. I read a, a book several years ago about Sonny Vaccaro called Soul Soul Wars or something like that. But really? It, yeah, it was about how he built Nike largely on Jordan. Then he got mad at Nike and went and built Adidas. Really? Yeah. He's a really fascinating guy. So uh, if you ever want to read the book, I'll pass it to you. It's it's a, it's a, for for fans of the NBA that we are in our generation, it's a really interesting read. Um, And then my son, William, who loves basketball, really wanted to see that movie. And so it's been on my radar and it kind of snuck up on me because how busy I am. And so I was glad you had seen it. Tell us about it though. Um, There's a, I mean, it's built around Sonny. Basically, it is, I mean, he's a gambling man, and he wants to gamble all of Nike's. I say, it, say all of Nike's. Nike was a $90 million company, and they wanted to give Jordan like 250000 So it's it's it's. But that was their entire bankroll for their basketball division. They were they were, they were running shoes, they were right? running shoes. Yeah, and um, which actually makes sense when you think about Nike. Yeah. Right, who's like a messenger of the gods? Her, you know, we think of them as runners. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm I'm familiar with just a little bit of this. But he was a real trailblazer and visionary. Yeah, he was, and didn't think the CEO would go along. And um, but he he basically gambled on Jordan, and it paid off for him. And you know, you I mean, what it's worth watching. There is a it, there is a ton of language like William will hear every cuss word known to man. If Maybe he, if he watches it, and there is a scene where it's—I don't know if you could call it—it's it, vulgar, but it's not sexual. Okay. So basically, the Sonny goes around the agent, and the agent calls him and chews him out for a good three or four minutes with every expletive and every inappropriate thing you could say to someone. He says it on the phone. This is where Nate Wilson's idea that you should subscribe to all the services, but then also subscribe to um, VidAngel, you know, those filtering services, looks really compelling. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give Netflix and Disney my money, but I get where it would be really nice to have. I can just turn off cussing and let them zip through that or whatever they do, you know. Probably, it sounds like with this movie, maybe you'd lose a lot of the dialogue scenes, but uh, I'd still I'd still be open to try that. We we need a we need a streaming service that I don't hate, so I can stomach giving money to try the Bit Angel service. So you would say do watch it though. Yeah, it's still worth watching. Just know when the agent calls back. I mean, you could 
you know, having close his ears for a minute or two because there's nothing gained from it's I think it's meant to be comedic. Yeah. And it is it is funny, but it's not appropriate at all. So the things that he says Okay to uh, <laughs> to Sonny. Yeah. But um it's already on Amazon Prime too, right? I think a, it's at our theater. Amazon release Amazon's the one who um released it or whatever. They they're gotcha. the production behind it. Gotcha. And I think Ben Affleck maybe wrote it or hmm. um he directed it. Affleck directed it. But uh, it it is good, and it they play they do so well emphasizing the eighties. Like they play tons of old commercials, ton, all eighties music during the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's like going back in a time machine for our childhood. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it, it it's good, and uh, I've been listening to Lore still, but I don't know if you, y'all saw on social media that what Jeff and I talked about in our last episode, where Lore has been basically. Um, Reading critical theory back into uh, the witch trials, uh, the you know a couple hundred years of of witch executions in Europe and America, they argued that Roman Catholics and Protestants uh, pushed the witch trials so that they could um, oppress women. <laughs> of course, they did. The fact that that Catholics were killing Protestants, they were just like, "Hey, time out." I know we're murdering you like savages, but we need to get together on this oppressing women thing. They wanted to oppress women and to get tithe money, they said. Because, I mean, it, you always have tithing spike when you kill witches. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of money in killing women. This is... When you kill people's family members and people in community. And, yeah. And not to mention, church and state are one at that time. Like, you're, get, you're literally getting tax money. To run the church. Right, but you, again, you get that sweet, sweet dead witch bonus <laughs> that everybody's all committed to. Golly, man. But the dude, I got into it with Aaron Mankey, the host. Good, I, I'm glad he responded. He responded, and um, he essentially called me a troll and said that, because um, my issue was he was blaming the patriarchy, Roman Catholics, and Protestants. My thing is, why is doesn't that, he blame the people who put in the t- the dead witch tax? <laughs> I mean, why do those guys get a pass? Yeah, for real, man. My my issue is, is that you're blaming Roman Catholics and Protestants actually believe that they're real witches. Like, and when the church and state are one, it's a heretical offense. And it, it's, I mean, if you really believe the Bible, there's nothing worse you can do. Yeah. Then lead people to hell and to serve the devil, right? Like, well, and and God believes in witches, right? He has prohibitions on them. Uh, you know, Samuel believes in witches because she got he he got called up by one and she freaked out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is this isn't just sort of materialist stupidity mm-hmm. combined with critical race theory. It's Lewis's chronological snobbery too, mm-hmm. where you think you're so sophisticated because you can record audio and edit it digitally. And you look back at these people who believed in witches mm-hmm. and assume they're wrong. Um, I mean, honestly, it's loathsome. Like, once you see it and someone is so committed to it, <clears throat> they just assume people back then were stupid and mean. Yes. When we live in a world where the Marxists pushing social justice and critical theory are like, hey, we're super stupid and we're definitely mean. But no, no, that's great. It's mm-hmm. got to be all these evil people in the past who are actually evil in their stupidity and meanness. So, I uh, yeah, I don't guess I'll be listening to much more lore. 
Yeah, I'm still listening to it. I just, it aggravated me. I thought about emailing him because I quoted him where he made these statements and he never replied to his actual quotes. Um, but to argue that they pushed the, the, they went after women, witches, witches because they were women and they wanted to oppress women is, I mean, you're reading something into history that's not there. Right. Like, that is not why. I mean, they actually believe that there were witches. And, and they maybe wanted to impress witches. Yeah, they wanted to impress witches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, like, women, like Mary, Queen of Scots, who uh, she was um, Queen of Scotland for almost two decades or close to that. And that was when the Witchcraft Act was passed in Scotland. Now it was passed by Parliament. But she permitted the execution of witches. I mean, during her reign was when the greatest uptick in Scotland history of the execution of witches was. And, um. Well, gosh, dude, it must all go back to that dead witch bonus you get. It's so ridiculous. It corrupted even her. Her virtuous being a woman was corrupted by the profitability of murdering witches. Yeah, so Mary Queen of Scots wanted to oppress women. Yeah. Is, is what they have to argue. Now, and I was telling him that, and he, you know, dismissed it. And then Bloody Mary, who was over England, she also ex- had witches executed. And so you have, there's two prominent women in Europe. His argument was patriarchy was the reason why there were more female witches executed in Europe than in Russia. But then he said patriarchy was the reason why men were more men were executed in Russia than women. You're like you're just blaming. You're literally today. What are your hobby horses on the political left and liberalism and reading that back into history yeah. chronological snobbery? Right? So the uh, the theory, the hobby horse, explains both the thesis and the in- antithesis at the same time. Uh, why do they kill women? Patriarchy. Why are they killing men? Patriarchy. It, it's beneath kind of analysis. You, you kind of have to laugh at these guys. He even, in one of his quotes, he's talking about, um, he's talking about love potions and how women especially use love potions. But he says, um, anytime a woman was in power, it had to be for a sinister reason or he said the assumption during that time period was, it had to be for a sinister reason, or uh-huh. like, like that's that's why a woman would be in power. Okay, it's one thing if you can go back and actually quote somebody who lived during that time, somebody prominent that said that, mm-hmm. then you can make the argument historically. But to just blanket statement like that is just it's just simply not true. Yeah, brain dead liberals don't do good with history as a discipline. They they do good with history as a rhetorical weapon. They destroy history. They don't do history, right? They Yeah. It's it's a mechanism to prop themselves up as morally superior and justify all their contemporary atrocities. Mm-hmm. We're not as bad as these guys in the past who we assign all this awful stuff to. We're superior to them. We're also not as bad as the people we say are doing the same thing now. Neither one of neither one has to be proven. And therefore we're totally justified in turning them into social outcasts and trying to drive them from society and turning those resources of the state upon them and all that stuff. I mean, that you know, it, it's that uh, that's that, it's that meme. Are we the baddies when you're dressed up like a Nazi? I did get one thing out of Aaron, though, that we need to tell. So, listener, if you listen to Lore and you're a Christian, Aaron said, um, like, Jared, it must be hard to fly around with all that baggage from Christianity. 
um, something along those lines where he was, he wasn't dealing with the arguments I made. He's starting to attack me as a person. Yeah, he, he hates God. Yeah. I mean, that's what it boils down to. He ha- not only hates God, he hates Christians. Yeah. And so he's a bigot. Yeah, he's, he's a, a bigot. bigot. And, and so just so you know, and you, you could gather that from his podcast that he does not have a high view yeah. of Christianity. He might be an agnostic, but it's just, it's funny though, because he's married and got kids and you're like, yeah, you're big the- you know, Christian ideals there. Um, where'd you get that from? Yeah. You're welcome, Aaron. Yeah. You're welcome. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that's disappointing, but also humorous. Uh, I mean, I'm still listening to podcasts, but I haven't really watched anything other than Paw Patrol because I'm getting, uh, I'm getting kids out the door in the morning. Uh, my wife, you know, taking care of the, the newborn, um, Paw Patrol ends up for their next youngest every now and then to kind of keep him placated. I hate to confess, I'm such a bad dad, but we'll run an episode of Paw Patrol by him so we can get some other stuff done. Every Is he day. walking real good? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's totally able to get into everything. He's a sweet kid. He's not doing anything disobedient or malicious, certainly, but he's just curious. Is he huge? He's pretty big. This is the one that looks just like you, right? Yeah. Your twin. That's the lucky one. That's how we, we <laughs> talk to him. Yeah. He's the lucky child. The genetic powerball. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's one way to look at it. That's <laughs> the way to look at it, pal. And look at it, you should. I think I'm God is... Uh, gracious. He, he's going to be just like you. Like, uh, he's going to show you little Jeff running around. You're going to you're gonna want to wear him out all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had a neighbor one time who talked about her children said, I used to uh, laugh at this woman I knew who had these blonde boys running around and how much chaos they were. And she's like, so God gave me a bunch of blonde boys. Uh, it could be something to that. So, all right, we're wrapping up what we've been watching. Um, I haven't got much to contribute to that. Um, you got anything for... So sorry to interrupt. Nah, man, I think we're ready to move on to Megan. Okay, well, let's talk about 2023's m 3 I'm going to just keep saying that, m 3 that stuff kills me. That and weird spelling of children's names are two things that just get under my skin. <laughs> and this movie has both. So, uh, yeah, let's get into this. So, listener, spoilers ahead. We're going to talk about this movie, and we're going to give away plot details. If you're not interested in that yet, go see the movie. Come back and hit play here. Uh, so, Jared, let's press on here. Um, all right, let's start with the IMDb summary. Pretty stripped down here. A robotics engineer at a toy company builds a lifelike doll that begins to take on a life of its own. Anything you'd add there? Um, I think, uh, I mean, basically a mother replacement. That gives away plot details, but, I mean, that's kind of what she's building. Yeah. You know, a career woman in, you know. Childless. Childless, you know. Spouseless. Um, you know, almost inherits her niece and turns her world upside down. This is basically about a mother who comes to her senses. Type yeah, thing. that's right. That's right. But I mean, you all that is like the robot really isn't the story, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So let's get into that. Um, but before we do that, I guess let's talk about any objections people might have conscience wise to the movie. There's, there's some gore. Um, other than gore language. Um, those are the two things. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's right. The movie opens with uh, some parents. I think they're fighting pretty soon after the movie starts. There might be some bad language, like from the jump. 
but I, what I think of, I, I didn't think about violence, even though it's a horror movie. I just assume people can see the trailer and the dolls running around with a knife and realize there's going to be some violence. <clears throat> but yeah, there's bad language. I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Well, more more to the point of the story. Uh, what is the story here? Um, I mean, as far as uh, creation, fall, redemption. Yeah, creation is just our world. Uh, fall happens when the child does not have a real loving mother. Yeah, uh, redemption happens when Gemma lives as a loving mother to Katie. Is what is what I've yeah. think. Yeah, in the better world, it's sort of them deciding they're going to make a life together in a more. Um, I mean, really, in a more traditional sense, mm-hmm. kind of more like a mother daughter. So, uh, yeah, just to sketch it out more fully, the uh, the parent, the birth parents of this child named Katie, spelled C A D Y, which is delightful. Um, <laughs> they, sorry, to all the KDs out there listening to this, and also to you, Katie Lang, wherever you are. Um, the parents die. Her biological family dies. Like you said, she ends up in the custody of her aunt, who is this super duper whiz bang high tech engineer working for a toy company, and uh, definitely does not. She she doesn't want to shirk the responsibility of taking care of Katie, but her life is just built around self absorption, and so immediately Katie's a drag on everything she's trying to do. And this is you know to my point earlier about Paw Patrol. This is what so I'm so enthusiastic about this movie. Self-absorbed people in our culture, when they have a child that is getting in the way of their self-absorption, they turn to technology as a substitute for what they should appropriately give as the adult in the child's life. And so I guess I was pretty uh I was pretty shocked, honestly, to see how clearly the movie indicts that approach to life with children um as soon as we really meet katie she's in the back seat playing with this interactive doll but the doll is obnoxious it like burps and poops and one of the parents is like why did we buy a doll like that but i can remember when we had our first daughter someone selling a doll that we saw an advertisement for that was like poly potty and she you know the the big appeal was that she took a dump or peed in the in a in the toy uh, thing. I was like, huh? Somebody's gonna pay money for that? Somebody paid money to try to put that on offer? But it kind of gets at like the Furby thing and how like you look back on it and you go, why were we doing this? What was the appeal? And really, what it comes down to is we think little of children. We think that basically all they can do is laugh at burps and farts. And so we give them toys to do that so parents don't have to actually interact with them. And that's all in the opening scene. And it just goes from there to showing... Um, and that gift came from her aunt, too, I believe. Yeah, the the aunt who's the toy maker gives that to her. But you just see in the movie uh, people constantly on their cell phones, distracted from everything around them. I mean, even with the adults at like a press conference, they're just all mindlessly scrolling their phone. Uh, you see it with Gemma and Katie. She's like, here, take my phone or whatever. Uh, you see the effect it has on Katie, uh, which we'll get to here in just a second. But the, the part of the world of this movie that I'm really, that makes me really enthusiastic about it is that it's an accurate reflection of our toxic relationship with technology and particularly the way it lands on children. So, um, 
at the strength of the movie, it's not a good world to live in because it actually kind of holds up a mirror and says, this is the world you live in, you know? Mm-hmm. And the catharsis comes from them realizing they need to get some distance between them and technology. So like the danger that technology actually represents in a way that is subtle becomes incarnate in a murder doll, right? We, we, I mean, again, this is why I think this movie is more profound than you would think from the jump because it takes the dangerous nature of technology and literalizes it with a stabby thing so you have to realize it's a threat. And what you're supposed to do, I think, is walk back and go, well, my cell phone's not trying to stab me, but it is controlling me. I'm using it like an opiate. Uh, I hand it to my kids to, so I have to deal with them. It tells me when to look at it. Uh, you know, my, my phone is a danger. Mm-hmm. And so I just came away super happy to see that represented in a big budget movie. Um, we got to some of the fallenness there, right? And what, uh, what's wrong in that world, basically self-centered. But where do you see yourself in this movie? Like, who do you, who's your point of view character? I'm not in this movie, but I am cheering on Gemma. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't fit anywhere here, man. Yeah. I may be her neighbor who doesn't like her. (laughs) (laughs) That may be my point of view. I may be the dude that gets killed. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Now he and see he sucks too because yeah. he's just there to catch he's a checks, you know. Yeah. And uh, no, again, it, I mean this is this is where we live. People <clears throat> rush to produce these things that legitimately can captivate us, but they never stop to slow down and be like, "Is this good for a human being?" It's just, will this technology captivate people in such a way we can extract more money from them? And the answer with your cell phone or your Nintendo Switch or PlayStation or whatever is yes. It will captivate and it will let us extract money from you. But nobody in the chain, including the consumer, but certainly not the producer, is saying, I don't know if this is good for humans. Maybe we shouldn't offer a product that destroys humans. And you, I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast. It's kind of commonly acknowledged now, but Steve Jobs and all these Silicon Valley giants don't let their own children have smartphones. Well, why is that? They know. You know, they don't want you to know. They know the testing. They know the results, what it does statistically. They know it. They know it. And so they don't let their own children have it. But it's a cash cow. Like, the more more time a kid spends on a phone, the more money they make. Yeah. I mean, it wears out quicker. They they can produce more. Once they deal with a video game, they're more willing to buy loot boxes and... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, buy upgrades and, and things like that. Uh, it's pretty, it's insidious. It really is. But I they're think, good at it. I think what's entailed in this, what we're seeing with technology is that you, and what what's good about this movie um, is the, you essentially become like, I mean, that's what you're seeing. They're becoming, you know. Like what they worship. Like what they worship. What, like they, you, what they honor and devote themselves to all day. Like you, you're less human, I guess you yep. could say. You're yep. less. You're less happy. You're le- I mean, the stats are out there. You can see, especially with young people, teenagers, especially teenage girls. For some reason, it has affected social media, um, screen time has especially affected teenage girls negatively. Mm-hmm. But you've probably seen it with school is that the kids who are on screens all the time have less of an ability to actually have real conversations, real relationships with people. Well, and I can also tell the difference spiritually in a child's health and work my way back. So, like, 
when I have a student who's at a private Christian school in the deep south, you know, clearly comes from a family willing to pay money beyond their taxes to have a Christian education. They're taking this stuff seriously. But their kids talk like they're just reading Jezebel posts. You just go back and you start asking questions about what their relationship is to technology. They got a cell phone really young. They got a tablet that they keep in their bedroom. You know, they're on the internet all the time. I mean, you just see it is a sewer filling their lives with poop. And so it comes back, you know, what goes in comes out when you're in this classic Christian environment. And it stands out because you're like, man, things are not well for you. You're not thoughtful. You're just repeating brain dead, woke talking points that populate the Internet. And it, it is shaping you into something that is less human than you should be, you know. Because, I mean, if we're meant to reflect God, God has revealed himself as reasonable, as logical. Person. Person, personal. I mean, you could, you know, he hasn't. We're not made to get our relationship from technology. We're made. I mean, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, how God designed male and female, it was face-to-face relationships. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is ideal. Reflecting a triune God Mm -hmm. who is one but also exists in the three distinct persons. Yeah, in the relationships they're in. And so there is this, the further you get away from the garden, like not only actually outside the garden, but from the design of God, the less face-to-face relationships that we have, the it's literally detrimental health-wise, physically, mentally. Um, Certainly spiritually. Spiritually. You put, I mean, they, there's been studies about people in solitary confinement, what it does to their brains, yeah. what it does to their psyche. I mean, it is literally makes them crazy, mm-hmm. makes them crazy within like 48 hours. They're nuts. Um, and we're voluntarily doing that yeah. by having our faces glued to a screen. Yeah. And it's essentially well, and destroying people. Oh, and then putting children. There's a reason we talk about children being in their formative years. We're, we're putting that in front of children at an ever younger age. And, I mean, this is this, we've talked about it on here before, I don't want to belabor the point, but this is this massive social experiment we're running. And all signs indicate that it's going to be catastrophic. But there doesn't appear to be any way to put the brakes on broad scale other than appealing to people to make choices that go against their immediate interests, which is never a, you know, not very successful campaign. So I am thankful that this movie took a couple hours and said, take a look at this. Are you sure this is what you want to be doing? Are you sure that this is going to work out long term? And so the other thing that I thought was really great about this movie that I wish I could uh, I could share around and get people to read and like do a conversation about is how this movie puts in front of people, I don't think that the creators would describe it this way, but it puts toxic matriarchy in front of everybody. Um, women are made to protect. Women are made to cultivate. Women are hospitable by nature. And so this lady who's shunting her own design for those ends, she nonetheless shunts it off onto this robot. And the way the robot is supposed to be a friend to this child is to keep her safe. And I think it's key to understanding this movie and some of the good social commentary it makes. Aunt Gemma tells M. Thregan, keep her safe physically and emotionally. And so when Megan begins to kill people who do not treat Katie well, she's following her programming. 
She was told to keep her safe, not just physically, but emotionally. And at one point, the robot kind of says that back to Aunt Gemma. She says, what did you think was going to happen when you told me to keep her safe emotionally? And so I've been talking about this in, in different contexts, so this is fresh in my mind. But really and truly, safety, allegedly, safety is the reason that we have had this therapeutic culture take over and destroy, I mean, destroy so much of what was good in our previous Western heritage, right? So, you know, the, the, the comical dumb versions are microaggressions. But where you really start showing, seeing this stuff show up where it costs people stuff is how by saying, I just didn't feel safe around that person becomes this blanket check to ostracize the person who's been described that way. And you never really have to define it, right? So I don't really feel safe around her. Well, oh my gosh, you have to feel safe. Nobody says, did she threaten you? Did she act in some way that was hostile towards you? Um, Is there any legitimate reason you felt unsafe? And really that question never gets asked because just the claim that it was therapeutically undesirable is sufficient for us to drop everything and make sure you feel safe. And that's at the heart of the nanny state that the government's become with overregulation. Everything, basically everything that constricts people's freedoms is sold in the name of safety. Or, you know, you can't go to church, COVID, got to be safe from COVID. Um, You know, it's okay if we burn the city down because we've got to be safe from white supremacy that governs our society, even though it's literally putting people in danger. It's in the name of like keeping us safe from bad cops or whatever. Um, and then when you add the emotional side of it, and it, there doesn't really have to be an objective threat. You can just feel threatened. Uh, it gets horrifying. I mean, like Kyle James Howard, who is an evangelical corrupter, basically draws money by appealing to people because he doesn't feel safe in different social environments. And particularly women come along and are saying, oh, that's so pitiful. Here's some money. And so, like, it has turned him into this subhuman creature who's selling his fear rather than living life as a man. And it's like a microcosm of what society looks like. Everybody's got to feel safe. If you don't feel safe, we've got to re-engineer everything. Well, it's only certain people. It doesn't matter if Christians feel safe or not. Well, that's true. That's true. I mean, we, you know, a, a tranny shoots up a school. That's a great point. A Christian school and... We're praising trannies for a month. Well, and the Department of Justice is saying we can't release the manifesto because trannies might not be safe, right? When you start seeing this therapeutic, uh, the idol of safety, you start seeing it everywhere. And you're right, it's selective. It's weaponized against certain groups. But the rhetoric is about safety. Well, they won't be safe if you can see the bloodthirsty uh hatred of Christians that this trainee feels because she is trainee. And she talks about what's clearly obvious, that Christianity is the last thing standing in the way of trans mania destroying everything in society. It will destroy everything. Right. And it's literally like Bible-believing Christians who, you know, Matt Walsh has done some good stuff. He's a Roman Catholic. You know, I, I don't deny there are unbelievers who see it. And they've even done stuff like James Lindsay has tried to fight critical theories that lead to trainee positive stuff. But as a block, it's just evangelical Christians who are like, no, this is nuts. And 
that that's clearly been encapsulated in this trainee's manifesto. And the Department of Justice says, well, that won't be safe for the safe for uh, the training community. So let's just go to Madonna's benefit concert for the trainees. It's insane, man. Insane. Can you imagine any that happening to anyone else? Like there, there's there was another shooting a few um, a month later, and they released um, messages like social media messages and things like that were released. Have you know the guy like in Texas who shot up yes. at the mall? Yes. They went to a Russian website that's like months away from being shut down that this guy is supposed to have uploaded all these crazy posts to. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, that to me looks, I mean, call me a conspiracy theorist, it looks to me like a manufactured uh, crisis. Because there's no reason, that guy's not, going to be on a Russian website. You're not posting English stuff. It, it's not, that's just not how somebody releases something they want seen. You know, the Nazi tattoos he allegedly got, they happened like a couple weeks before hmm. the shooting and all this stuff. But what it does tell you is if they want it known, it'll be made known immediately. And mm-hmm. if it can be found, it'll be found immediately. The version that's probably more galling is that we still don't know who leaked the uh, overturning of Roe versus Wade. Yeah, we, that can't ever be known. But that dude who put some documents on a Discord server that showed that we actually did have troops in Ukraine, they found him within the weekend. They had him in cuffs by the weekend. Um, this is kind of sidebarring into the hypocrisy of the the regime. But again, listener, just pay attention to how, I mean, you probably already are, but if you're not, pay attention to how the atrocities of our society are accomplished in the name of safety. Pay attention to the way it dehumanizes the people who decide to profit off of that. And M. Thregan, Megan here, is one of the few movies I've ever seen to take a look at that and go, you can't live like this. Mm-hmm. Somebody is not going to be safe if you insist that this one person always has to feel safe. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a good about this movie. That sounds like a negative. You know, it's a critique. Right. But it's one of the things I like about the movie. The, the technology issue and the, the therapeutic culture issue is what I'm enthusiastic about. The uh, There seems to be a rebuke towards Gemma as well. Like, we're supposed to view her as wrong for being a workaholic at, a the, ex- out. at the expense of her child. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not a loving mother. And she, the movie is essentially arguing she's missing out on something. It's not just the kid that's missing out on having a real mother, but that the mother is missing out on something. Yeah, that's a good point, Jared, because it also it, it presents her as sort of this um, case of arrested development. You know, out externally, she has everything she'd want. She's this renowned engineer who's created great toys. She's well-regarded in her field. Clearly, she's super skilled at building stuff and that people want. But you go to her apartment, and she has toys on the shelf that the child can't play with because the toy is kind of the point uh, as a piece of decoration. Hmm. And, yeah, so the fact that she hasn't entered into, again, I think a lot of the people involved in this would never be able to recognize this, let alone acknowledge it. But the fact that she has kind of ghettoed herself in career path shows that she's fulfilled, she's she's failed to grow up into who she's supposed to be. And you're right, the movie kind of looks at her and says, cool, that's a, that's ugly. Mm-hmm. And she's not building toys that help. So if we think ethically just a second about AI, 
like what would be an ethic, a governing principle for AI? Um, would it be, because I've been trying to think through this because the people at church have been asking about AI. And, um, but thing, so AI is good where it helps humanity be human or display humanity or, but when it starts to improve or replace, that's where it, the ethical boundary, it's beyond image bearing. It's, yeah. uh, it's the opposite of image bearing. It, it becomes, um, image shaping, reflect like new image creating, um, creating us in the image of technology. Yeah. It, mm. In technology or it's demonic. I assume there's some sort of demonic influence on that as yeah, well. Anything that is, um, wants to, more the image of God is demonic. And you see that by when it wants to change image bearers. Like right? transhumanism. Yeah. I think all that's intertwined where, because I've tried to think, because insulin, you know, comes from pigs, I believe, and it, it doesn't improve humanity. It fixes something that's broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm not against that. Little heart valves are made from pigs, um, or not made, taken but from. taken from pigs. Yeah. Like there's people in my church who have that. I mean, right. you're fixing a problem. You're not saying we're gonna we're gonna. Jeff's got a healthy heart. We're gonna improve his heart by putting a extra ex- valve in yeah. that we took from a pig. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Or, um, but that's that's where that's where we're at. Like yeah. we, we've got technology where we they say they can make humanity better. And this is where I think Elon Musk. I, I told my church, look, I think Elon Musk is great on free speech and about nothing else. Yeah. Like. He, I mean, I'm, I'm glad he's on our side for free speech, but on about everything else, he's, I mean, he's a liberal. Oh, for sure. And a post-human liberal. Yes. Um, he wants you to interface with the internet at your brain, you know. He's trying to, uh, patent, um, a chip that you implant. I yeah. can't think of what it's called. Uh, Neuralink. And he's got Starlink, so the internet's available everywhere because it's coming from satellites. And then Starlink will hook up with Neuralink, so the internet's always in your brain, which sounds like every sci-fi movie warning ever. Do not do that. Golly. And he's just rushing headlong at it. That's like, like in my head, I'm thinking zombie control. Yeah, like the Borg. Yeah, like, yeah. that's that's some crazy, that's some, for real, we're, we're in the time, though, in the next 10 years where, what, what I, what concerns me is more where it's not, where it's not regulated, like. Um, they're going to try to regulate it here, but worldwide, they're not going to be able to stop AI. No. And everything's linked, and you can think of China, think of Russia, think of North Korea. These guys aren't going to... Think of modern progressives. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, seriously, the AOC set out there are arrogant, petty gods enough to say, well, we need to reprogram that brain to stop being so homophobic. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you give them those tools, they will try their best to use them against you. I, I've thought for years now, because I was always an early tech adopter. I wanted all the new tech, uh, you know, I'm very enthusiastic about it. I'm working with a student who um, is sort of in that same boat, and he's trying to argue for this Christian approach to using technology that sort of we need to ramp that up is his idea. And And here's the crux of the matter, I think. I think everybody agrees technology is a tool, but where 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 the fight really is to me is whether or not you believe every tool is neutral. And I think the assumption is that tools are neutral, and I think that's wrong. 
Um, so, you know, I don't mean to be coarse with our listeners, but a dildo is a tool and it is not neutral. That's also true of a hammer and it's also true of a smartphone and it's true of AI. It's a tool. It's not neutral. And so what's a tool? A tool is something that extends human capability, right? So my vehicle is a tool in that it extends my ability to move through time and space. I can do it quicker in the tool that is my vehicle. Um, what I can't do in, you know, this is one of the ways you can see that it's neutral, not neutral rather, is that it aims me in certain areas. I can't cook food for my family in my car. The tool only allows me certain options. Mm -hmm. So you can apply that to the things I've just mentioned. They only allow you certain options, so they push you in a direction when you use them. The hammer gives me the ability to be more productive than I would be left with my soft fingers, right? It allows me to do certain things and certain things faster than I could otherwise do. And I, I think this is why, I think this is, Megan gives us a chance to think about this very carefully because extending human capabilities isn't only a positive thing, right? So I'll go again back to a dildo that extends human possibilities and potentialities, but in a way that's really disconnected from, or a sex doll, right? That's a tool. It extends certain capabilities, but it does it in a way that pushes us away from God's design. And what Megan tells us is, we're not running around with AI robots who are using knives to protect our kids. Smartphones, me turning the TV on to let my kid watch Paw Patrol. It's extending my capacity to be very self-centered, to to prioritize things other than my children, or even my own human pursuits. And it causes us to say, this might be dangerous in the long term, but also in the immediate. And so, uh, again, Coming back to the enthusiasm for this, it shows you that technology can extend our vices, not just our virtues. You know, not all technology is a paintbrush that might allow us to create something beautiful. Some of them are more like, well, Megan. And uh, you just don't see, you don't see that criticism a lot in our world because most of, most people think Elon Musk is a hero. Mm-hmm. Like if we can do it, we should do it. Right. Now, it's the Jurassic Park thing. Now, Musk is saying we need to put the brakes on AI, like he he's genuinely warning, but mm-hmm. he still is in favor of transhumanism. Exactly. So he's like a limited help. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't, you can't unring that bell. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you don't think the military is going to make super soldiers, like, if they can. Um, well, and the internet is its own kind of artificial intelligence because people behave differently online than they do in, in their real world lives. So that's an artificiality. It creates a certain set of biases. And he wants to pump that into people's brains. So instead of it being an algorithm, it's the sum total of debauched humanity on the Internet at a given time. Right? I mean, that that's its own kind of artificial intelligence. And you're more comfortable pumping that into your brain? You're just not thinking very carefully, Elon. No, man, that's terrifying. Yeah. I don't want any, like, that. Yeah. that would be... Insane, and that's before you get to the idea that you mentioned earlier. Uh, demons are going to make use of this stuff. Mm-hmm. They're you know read that hideous strength. Somebody somewhere is talking to a demon. And they have plans. Mm-hmm. So I think we're probably getting at how you subvert idolatry here pretty extensively. You got anything more on that, or can we talk about how the gospel applies? I think one more good thing was that 
the movie basically argues that r- robots and AI can't replace humans. Sure, sure. And can't um, for either one. Like, they can't replace children or careers, not a substitute for um, having a family. Yeah, that's well said. But I don't think that it goes far enough as far mm-hmm. as, like, it just argues that for a single mother with a child. When it, where's, you know, where's the emphasis on a husband, a father? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, reproduction where you can have, you know, having children and mm-hmm. seeing that as a vocational good. So it, he seems to, you know, we know that James Wan's involved in this and he also did Malignant, which is basically saying patriarchy's the devil. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing right. is like how men are evil. Yeah. I mean, that, that's essentially the whole argument yeah. of the whole movie. The male is evil. Like masculinity yeah. is evil. Yeah. Yeah. And then in this, there is there is no masculinity. Like, but he's wanting to say something about well, motherhood is a good. Like, but also I think he's still arguing that you can have your like career and motherhood. You yep. can have those two things. Not you don't need a man. Mm-hmm. I think he's still making that argument. A man's optional. You know, if it if that makes you happy, go for it. But it's not required. Yeah, and I, I think biblically, you go back to the garden. Men and women need each other. That's literally how God designed all of humanity. Uh, listener, if you're a woman, you need a man. And men, if you're a man, you need a woman. Like, unless you have a, the, a special gift of singleness, um, that is, it's Incredibly God. rare. It's rare and it's God supernaturally going beyond his design. Like, if you just go based on his design from creation, you need to find a spouse. Mm-hmm. Like that—that's literally how God has designed, and that's God's will for almost everyone. And in our society right now, like in the past hundred years, the things that have been going against that have been feminism, and it's been ramped up with the LGBT stuff. Um, and I just saw a stat yesterday on Twitter that um, America's at a twenty percent low for uh, our child birth rate. Oh, sure. And people are like, raising, they don't understand why. It's like you're you're murdering babies mm-hmm. left and right. Abortion. You're saying that children get in the way of of a fulfilling life, full of Instagram mm-hmm. stories about where you've traveled to. You're telling women that they have to go to college, get multiple mm-hmm. degrees, and then start a family after they start their career as a lifestyle option that you can choose if that's good. But mm-hmm. hey, certainly getting an abortion and being single and trying to live Sex in the City as a you know a lifestyle. That's great too, girl. You just go do whatever you feel like doing. Yeah, I mean you're right. Western culture has schemed up its own suicide, and we've looked at different cultures. You know, I think we've talked on here before, but if not, uh, the Dutch, the Netherlands, um, Scandinavians—they were kind of aware and ahead of us on this. And so, like the government, I can't remember what the program exactly was, but the government was funding people to have date nights. Hmm. And they were calling it something like do it for Norway, trying to get people to have sex so they would have a child. Wow. Um, Japan is in this incredible crisis because they don't have a workforce coming up to replace an aging population. So you'll hear these stories about guys who are in their 60s and older who are working as sanitation people because they can't find young men who are willing to come begin a career like that. And all that's right there in front of us. All that is right on our doorstep. I think even Canada pays every time you have a kid. Like yeah, I see, think they pay 15, 20 grand. See, and, and honest to goodness, this is not for the birth rate, but because of God's design, 
This is why the government should privilege certain things like creating a traditional family. It's God's design and it's good for us and the government should privilege it. Am I saying the government should never have resources for a single mom? No, but we assume the government should be doing something for a single mom. The government should default to making life easier for the family that's trying to raise children. There should be incentive for a husband and wife staying together right? rather than actually, you know, we'll prop you up if you choose to divorce. Like um, divorce is encouraged. Singleness is encouraged. Financially incentivized. Absolutely. And um, it it should be the opposite where we are trying to get families to stay together. I mean, every statistic from a, from a secular standpoint, yeah. children raised in two-parent homes fare better, oh, far better than the counterpart. Yeah. And I mean, generally speaking, like there are exceptions to that rule, but what is the rule? Mm-hmm. What's the, according to What's God's the design, you know? Yeah. And that's what we need to encourage. That's what the government should encourage. But should be privileging. Right. And I mean, I, I don't like the word privilege, but yeah. it should be privileged. So Hungary is doing some of this. You know, Hungary is one of those places where you're like, I wish we were more like that country. And which is a weird thought for me as an American. I'm used to sort of being like, we're the best. Yeah. You know, but Hungary is doing stuff. I think like if you're married and purchase a home and have children and live there with your family for five years, they stop charging you uh, property tax. Oh, that'd be awesome. Isn't that incredible? Property tax is the most unjust tax anyway. Yes. And that you would use it to to wean the state off of property tax, to wean people off of thinking of it as a given, but to do it then to encourage a family to build a household and stay in a community long-term. That's brilliant. And it's what it's the kind of clear-headed, common-sense stuff that our country needs to recover in repentance for our brain-dead secularity. But what does our government do? They they make decisions that increase inflation rapidly, which raises property values, which means more property tax that right. they receive. It just it and fires then me. Directs up. it to things like government-funded abortions here and around the globe. Yeah, government-funded transgender programs, things like that. I mean, we are under God's judgment and provoking God's judgment in unprecedented ways. And you just have to look over to like, again, Hungary or 200 years ago in history and see all these examples that indict us. But we just press right on. Uh, So anyway. um, Every time in the Bible, when a country is judged, they always think they're the exception. Sure. Always. Israel. I mean, when you go back and you look at some of the armies Israel defeated, like the Bible goes out of its way to say, um, you know, the, the enemy had iron chariots. And yeah. in Israel, it's a bunch of farmers with pitchforks. Right. And Israel wins. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the, you know, it's God using Israel as his a judgment arm or, or a flood. And um, that it's going to happen to America unless there's a revival. Unless there's a great moving of the Lord. Well, it feels like it is happening to Yeah, America. But I mean, I think it's going to, I think there's a drastic draw overnight. Like there's a, there's something coming. Yeah. I mean, if we're just looking at the Bible. Sure. Um, and you look at history, there, there, I mean, there's been deterioration with history, but eventually there was another conquering army or there yeah. was another nation that took over. Some catastrophe that sort of reset the world. Yeah. I was talking to some friends. Uh, Jonathan Pajot is a guy I listen to. He's um icon carver in the Greek Orthodox Church. But he's got some, you know, not my not my tribe theologically, 
but he has some really interesting insights from a Christian worldview, broadly speaking. And he says, we are living at the end of the world. Now, a new world may be born on the far side of this, but this world is dying. Unless Christ intervenes, the world, the sense of values, how things are, worldviews, all that stuff is dying. And he expects a catastrophic event to be the result, too. And again, there may, you know, in the Lord's providence, if this is not where the catastrophic return of Christ appears, a new world will be born like the new world, you know, the world that died when Rome fell, and a new world was born on the far side of it. Um, he's saying this world is dying, and we're going to see what happens on the far side of it. And that's a provocative idea to me. Mm-hmm. I think we Christians way that you can, if you really want to be countercultural, get married, have babies, love your family. Yeah. I mean, for real, we can outbreed this generation. Yes. We can take over the world in a. We can take over America in a generation. Sure. Just if you would be like Jeff and have eighteen kids, just, just well disciple <laughs> kids. And I mean, that's the that's the parents' nightmare. My parent, my nightmare as a parent is that some of my kids won't love Christ. Yeah. But yeah, if you want to play the statistics and play the odds, a bunch of Christians loving children and enjoying them, celebrating God's gift of blessing of fertility, enjoying it, building their lives around it, rather than a career path or. Having a you know a great retirement where you travel with your spouse with no attachments or whatever else the dream is, if the dream can come back to you, like I'd like to have a bunch of grandchildren around me when I die, mm-hmm. um, you're right. They you know the the pagans are aborting their children and sterilizing them with trainees, uh, trainee surgeries. And now a lot of times Christians are feeding them right. They're feeding them their next generation through the public school system. But if we, can, if we can have enough sense to put a stop to some of this and go back to loving God's design for families, we really could reset the world in a profitable way. Pretty quickly. I mean, it seems like immediately. Like in my lifetime, in our yeah, lifetime, exactly. we could see it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. So how's the gospel apply in this one? Um, I, I think that this movie screams that God's design is better than mm-hmm. technology. Like if you have to choose between the two, God's design is always going to feel be- f- fare better for humanity not something artificial. We don't need some... That, the thing about AI is that it is getting to the point where it is so, lack of a better term, intelligent that it's like a god. Mm-hmm. And that's how people treat it. Mm-hmm. People will worship AI if they're not already. Yeah. And um, So there is a group right now that I'm following on Twitter, a guy who is trying to create an AI deity asking it for guidance, and he's trying to build a religion around an AI directing a religious group on how they should conduct themselves. Dude, that's straight demonic, like yep. like putting out a playbook of, yep. wow. Yep. And he's actually, like, Pete, you know, I'm not saying that he's, he's not a loon. Elon Musk, but he's rapidly gaining new participants uh, in a way that I don't know if it'll ever become anything that would affect actual society but it also shows that it's not far from that and that we're not in a good place i can see could you not see our overlords though saying trust i mean we hear trust the medicine yeah trust, trust the, the science, science. Yes, of course. Trust, trust the, the ai is not far like no, that's not a far not. jump at all so i have an apostate student that i worked with for years who left the faith and i was trying to meet with him as much as i could to just see if there's any hope of restoring him and what he told me is he did not believe in God. What we needed was a self-editing AI that would constantly improve itself to where it could be a reliable guide for humanity. 
And I, you know, I told him, I was like, so when it says society is, you know, humans are inefficient, they need to be eliminated. He said, well, that would be right. That would be right and good because the AI would know that. And what I told him is, you're not an atheist. You just don't like the God that exists. You want a programmable God. Which is crazy. Yeah. That's straight. That's like a horror movie. I, mean, I, I know. I know. It's and amazing. that was the last time we met. You know, he didn't want to meet anymore after that. That just, that's an unlivable, like, so he's okay with an AI wanting to exterminate humanity, but he's not okay with our God giving and taking. Right. Perfectly. Dying on behalf of God. I mean, on behalf of humanity. Yeah. yeah. I just, it's just it's insane. insane. But I mean, it's especially how insane human wickedness sin, is. Sin, Yeah. It's like, sin makes you stupid. Like, it, it really makes you, and I think it's just, we're meant to reflect God, and he has displayed his law in a reasonable, logical fashion. And when you start rebelling against him, you start, you know, down is up, left mm-hmm. is right. You can't think clearly about anything. Yeah. It's crazy. That's how, I don't know how many times I've seen men ruin their marriages, their their kids' lives, ruin their job. Like, literally throw everything away for sin, and they li- they... They can't even think. Like you have conversations with people who are ensnared in sin, and they can't even think mm-hmm. like logically about or right about anything. It's like it's almost like a, it's almost like a uh, they live in a fantasy world. That's exactly right. I mean, um, that's that's what sin is ultimately. It's I can live as if there's no God, and mm-hmm. that's a fantasy. So get back to the gospel. God's design is is better. Like that's what this movie says without saying it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the gospel is better. You know, this movie seems to say that fulfillment is found in having a career and being a mother, um, not having a spouse, not having a husband. But, um, and I would say that fulfillment is ultimately found when everything is rightly ordered under the Lordship of Christ. And until you live for God, so not for self, this movie said live for your daughter, kind of. We're getting warmer, but still inadequate. Yeah, yeah. And, And so we have to order our lives under the worship of Yahweh, which is essentially what the whole Bible teaches. Mm-hmm. Like the the once you get away from worshiping God and in the New Testament, understanding that his son, um, he sent his son to die on our behalf, uh, to represent us, um, to lay down his life, take our sin away, give us his righteousness and rule and reign for all eternity, to essentially conform us to the image of his son. And so we must come to God in worship through his son, by his spirit, and our lives must not center around a job or our children, but ultimately around worshiping him. And these are all stewardships that God has given us as avenues through which to honor and enjoy him and his design. Amen. And that's what, that is human flourishing. You know, this, this movie kind of arbitrarily says that, well, you need a job. You need, you need, you should, motherhood is a, is a good thing. Like you shouldn't be trying to get technology to replace these goods. Um, when the worship of God is nowhere even hinted at in this movie. And that, that is the only way that we're going to rightly order things, especially in our country today. We're going to see less and less natural law, mm-hmm. um, less and less display of it. And honoring of it. I mean, right. it's still going to be there. Yeah. You know, I think we've talked about this, but Jay Bujashevsky says you can push the natural law down for a time, but he says it comes back up unavoidably. And when it comes back up, it comes up like a wildcat you've been trying to hold down. It's going to have teeth mm. and it's going to destroy it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. I just think that 
you know, the, the way that we kind of push natural law to the side um, and the natural law is under the curse. And so death is now part of natural law. Yeah. We push death in the hospitals, death in the nursing homes. They're no longer in our homes. Yeah. We push the farms. It's largely giant farms that are feeding this nation. And most of us don't have a clue about right. how to grow anything. It. Right. And so we get as far away, even in our rural areas. Mm-hmm. That's exactly um, right. Well, so I, grew, you know, I live on a farm. I farm. But what, what's interesting to me is that, like, the kind of farming I've always known is dependent upon diesel-powered machines. That wasn't even true of my grandpa. Yeah. He was glad when diesel-powered machines showed up because it, those tools extended his capabilities further than, you know, mules and a plow did. But he could grow things without being dependent on outside energy sources, mm-hmm. or at least outside energy sources that weren't the sun. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's within an interim generation. It's gone, right? I, I have to recover all that stuff because we've decided, well, technology can take care of this. I mean, literally down to like electric fences. Yeah. You know, we need power to do most of what farming uh, accomplishes for us now. And, dude, it, it just makes us really fragile. It does. Well, and you, it's very difficult to make a real living because of the cost of Absolutely all that. Absolutely right. The government subsidizes it. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, so here's what I would go, and I think you've hit the broader, bigger, more important picture here. Mm-hmm. But one of the ways I think the gospel applies here is that it, it tells us that technology is a, is a false messiah. So much of what we have banked our hopes on, we want AI to tell us the right way forward. So like AI is right now rapidly being used to diagnose, increasingly diagnose diseases. Doctor inputs sort of symptoms, AI does what AI does and comes back and says, here's a list of probabilities of what the disease is. That's very quickly going to become you going to a kiosk at a walk-in clinic and doing that, and it's going to spit out the diagnosis. It's going to eliminate a doctor entirely, unless there's some kind of crisis, right? Mm -hmm. And these groups that are already working with advanced robotics to put AI into the uh, advanced robotics as the controlling operating system, you're going to have, I mean, it's on the table that you would have surgeons who are AI-powered robots, right? So we've looked to it to end disease and to give us, like that student, give us clarity about what we should be doing with ourselves and answer our great questions. You know, people used to go to Google to find out, how you know, what is sex all about anyway? What is a man? They're going to go ask AI for that stuff. And we have been told that AI is going to make everything so much more efficient that our lifestyles are going to increase. We're going to have a higher... Cost, I mean, higher uh, quality of life, lower cost of living. It's going to make everything better. It's a version of what the globalists would tell you about uh, immigration. Hey, they're going to come in. Since y'all have aborted all your offspring, they're going to do the jobs you don't want and society will be better. And this is how we'll fix that problem. Well, with technology, I think James Wan, who is a Christian in some kind of sense, sometimes go, gives us nonsense, but every now and then something good pops out. I think he's really helped us here by saying your AI technology is not strong to deliver. Technology is not a God who can save. It's another dumb idol. And those who worship it become like it and are destroyed by it, right? The gods, the false gods will turn on you. The real God will execute judgment on his enemies, but he is also the one trying to bring his enemies into his household. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the ways to think through how the gospel applies here is that there is a savior. He's good at being savior. He's good at 
creating and saving and redeeming humans. And you might think you're going to get that from artificial intelligence. You might think you're going to get that from ever-increasing levels of integration with technology, like Elon Musk's Neuralink. But that is a false savior. Not only is it going to let you down, it's eventually going to turn on you. And so I'm thankful for this movie reminding us of that. Kind of highlight the glory, the surpassing glory of Christ. Amen. Hopefully, uh, you know, they've got a sequel coming out they're working on for this. Forgan. And, uh, what? M. Forgan. Oh, M. Forgan. You're such a dork. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm hope, I'm hopeful. Like, hopefully he'll argue the same thing in a different way or different yeah. story or yeah. maybe I would love to see him celebrate fatherhood since he evidently hates men so much. Yeah. Yeah. Hold your breath. Yeah, for real. <laughs> All right, man. Well, anything else to say on M. Thregan? No, that's I'm just going to keep saying it. It's, it's not Megan. It's M. Thregan. All right, man. So where can people find what you're up to outside of Pop Culture Corndale? You can find me on Twitter at Jared H. Moore. Um, check out my book, The Pop Culture Parent, and be looking for my book on lust from Free Grace Press. Let's go. Um, it'll be this year, towards the end of the year. Let's go. That's awesome. Uh I'm at Merely J. Ride on Twitter. Anything I write beyond that is probably going to show up on Servants and Heralds. At the time of its recording, I just got done doing an episode for Eschatology Matters podcast. It's on YouTube. Uh, again, Eschatology Matters. They brought me on to talk about Christian nationalism, but we talked about a broad spectrum of stuff. And so if people are interested, go check that out. All right, listener. Well, thanks for pressing play on this episode of Pop Culture Quorum Deo. Lord willing, we'll be back with you quick. And until then, I am Jeff Wright. On behalf of Dr. Jared Moore, reminding you to live every moment as if you are before the face of God. Because you are. Talk to y'all later.